the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my mommy and her friends on Trails and Testimonies. Come on, y'all. Let's go. Welcome to Trails and Testimonies. My name is Kim Fitz. You can follow me on Instagram or you can follow me or Trails and Testimonies on Facebook because this will be one of the last ones that we do for just a little bit. As I am nine months pregnant, hiking isn't so much easier anymore. And so I'll miss hiking. I'll miss the testimonies. But the ones that we have done will live right here. And we'll look ahead to 2021 and hiking so much more. But earlier this year, we had Hurricane Zeta blow through Georgia. And it left down trees, down power lines. It was a mess. So throughout this interview, you can certainly hear the leftover wind. And that's kind of what happened to Christy. She just had this hurricane show up out of nowhere. And she really had to fight her way through two separate cancer battles. So strap on your hiking boots and let's go for a little walk. Well, thank you so much for coming on Trails and Testimonies. Oh, thank you for having me. Christy Shearhouse, she has such an incredible, inspirational story. And whenever we start kind of the interview process, I'm like, well, can I get an outline? Of your testimony. And sometimes it's hard because for right. my testimony, I mean, it would be an essay if I had to send it well, to mine somebody. just about was. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't that. But something that caught my eye when I was reading it was you said that your kind of motto is my story, his glory. Mm-hmm. And you share your story so that others know that it's okay to not be okay. Right. And it really reminded me. Of that brand new song um, from We Are Messengers, Maybe It's Okay. Right. And right. that is the immediate song that popped in my head. I am so glad that you are here, that you are going to share it because Christy has beat cancer twice. Yes. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And an amazing partner by your side. Yes, an amazing very spouse much so. by your side to help you through that. And we'll start with that wherever you met Gil. I had met him in passing a couple times, but... Really, I was finishing up school, and this mutual friend had decided that I really needed to meet this guy. So he kind of set it up, but the funny part of the story is our friend told me that he was setting us up, but he never told Gil. (laughs) So so I'm going into this thinking, okay, I'm going to try to get to know this guy better since he's so great, apparently. We talked like he knew what was going on, but later after we actually started dating you know, confess that, well, I had no idea that that's what I was getting into. <laughs> and I think God really, of course, right. had his hand oh, yeah. in setting you guys up right. as well because very much so of your future now. Right. So we got engaged right about a year later, about six weeks after that, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So we definitely started our engagement very different. And we had just set our wedding date. We already had that booked and 
at that point in time, I felt like I was the healthiest I'd ever been, you know, obviously not knowing what was going on. And I have found a small lymph node over my collarbone. I really didn't think anything about it at the time. And my sister was in the medical field and she kind of, well, you might want to get that checked out. Gil and I both still went into it with a, it's nothing. It's nothing. We're fine. It's fine. Went to the doctor pretty quickly. He felt like it was of concern. But I think even then we just, I don't know, we had a piece about it, which obviously was just God, but felt a little blindsided, obviously. It was determined to be stage two. So you guys are engaged. Yes. And you've set a date. And we had a date set. You're battling cancer. Right. And you're moving towards your wedding date. Right. Okay. Right. And it was just a crazy year, you know, but it's funny, but it's also kind of (laughs) sad at how many people along the way were like shocked that he stayed around. And I kept thinking to myself, well, my goodness, I would not want to be engaged to a man that wouldn't stick around through the hard stuff. But it floored me a little bit that that was some comments that I got of, well, you sure are lucky that he stuck around for that. Uh, (laughs) Well, you should hear our vows coming up. (laughs) And I remember my mother-in-law and love her. (laughs) But she she wasn't the only one that was trying to kind of encourage us to move our wedding date. Because we'd already had it set. We knew it'd be cutting pretty close to finishing up chemo and radiation. But Gil and I both were like, no, we need something to look forward to at the end of all this. So I had to have eight rounds of chemotherapy back then, once every other week. And I usually had one friend take me to treatment, and then somebody else would come in with lunch, and we'd have lunch, and somebody different would usually sit with me at the end of the day. Gil came with me to my first and my last, but I had friends that sat through the middle. I never let my parents come. I felt like that was too much for them. They showed up at my last treatment with balloons and, you know, made it a celebration, but... I Did just, you ring the bell? Do you ring the so bell? So back then, they, there was no bell. Like there was still a, you know, they still made a big deal about it. The nurses and staff did. But I remember, you know, I was in this huge chemotherapy room. There were probably 20 different people getting treatment at the same time. It just was a very third person, almost out of body feeling. And I remember walking in that room, vast majority of the people in there were much older than I was. And just the looks of, oh that she's having to do this because I was probably 20, 30, 40 years younger than most of right. them. I think part of the fun of planning our wedding during that was I think that we provided a lot of fun entertainment for <laughs> the staff and, you know, because I had friends bring bridal books and magazines and, you know, we would laugh the whole time. And But I think having friends in there and just, you know, lightened up the atmosphere because it usually was, was a kind of a dreary place to be and people were pretty quiet and wanted to be left alone and we'd be over there cackling about something. But, you know, we just had just made the decision that, okay, we're getting married on September 18th, period. I probably won't have hair back. When I had to shave my head after about five weeks, like I had really thick hair. So like you probably wouldn't have been able to tell that I had lost anything, but I could, and I got tired of just picking it off of everything. So Gil and I both shaved our heads. But at some point, it was probably a couple months after that, I remember finally telling him, I think it is so sweet that you're bald. (laughs) (laughs) However, I really want you to have hair for our wedding pictures. So can you please stop? That is so (laughs) sweet, though. And, you know, talking about planning for your wedding and going through chemo at the same time, a lot of weddings sometimes 
we focus on the wrong things. Yeah. Oh, the invitations are the wrong color. Right. Or something something very minuscule could happen. Uh-huh. We very much did not care about the details. And I probably would have been a very different bride, maybe. Our focus was just elsewhere. And yeah. I had finished a bit, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I had finished chemo June of that year. So my hair had started to grow back. Northside Hospital has a women's center, and that's where I had gotten a wig, like a human hair wig, that they made it match my long blonde hair that I had back then. We had a packed house of just friends and family, you know, that had walked through all that with us. And we always say when we got to in sickness and in health, it just meant something completely different to us. So from there, one of the first questions that I asked my oncologist was about children. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to have kids with chemotherapy and radiation. And his comment back then was, shouldn't have any problems with chemotherapy and radiation was upper body, not lower body. He was like, you know, your chances really shouldn't be any different than the average person. He was like, however, we don't fully know what chemo is going to do to your body. And we just had a piece about, all right, if it's God's plan and God's will for us to have kids, we will have kids. So my oncologist didn't want us to try for at least two years because with Hodgkin's, the greatest chance of it coming back is those first two years. So I got pregnant with Isabella at 22 months post-treatment. So literally the first phone call that I made was to the oncologist, <laughs> not to my mom, not to my best friends. It was to the doctor and almost apologizing. I know you told me two years. I'm almost there. <laughs> it's 22 months. It's, I was right. I'm at 22. You know, of course he <laughs> laughed and was excited for us. So we had Isabella beginning of 2007 and then we had Alexis or Lexi um, beginning of 2010. So definitely God's plan for us to have kids because we weren't sure that we'd have them. So don't want to miss the miracle in that. I've got other friends and people that I've met that went through similar treatments that were never able to have children. And um, so just the miracle of being allowed to be a mom after all of that. Yes. And I'm so glad that they are here with you. (laughs) (laughs) We're glad most of the time. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We've just been quarantined. We have a teenager now. (laughs) Oh, I do. I mean, I am so grateful for our Samuel and I'm so grateful for the one that's in my belly right now. I do not look forward to teenage years. (laughs) You just kind of have to hold on and pray a lot. It's like the ride at Six Flags. It's Ninja. It really is. It's not the the most favorite (laughs) ride, but it's a fun ride. (laughs) It's so true. So true. It's neat, though, as they get older to see the way God's growing their faith and, you know, just their very different little personalities and, you know, starting to see the gifts that he's blessed them with and how they use them. Like, that's cool as they get older. Well, and I think for them to both see their mom fight cancer again so right gracefully so what was their reaction and your reaction as you move through life and this beautiful right. roller coaster that we've, oh that such a on? roller coaster <laughs> <laughs> over the whole like 15 like next 15 years that followed after we got married we were told way back then that part of having radiation to your chest that there was a tiny chance of an increased chance of lung cancer or breast cancer Um, And that always kind of just set in the back of my mind. And there were seasons of life where I didn't put much thought to it. And there were other seasons where enemy very much used that at the forefront of my mind just as fear. And, you know, I've always just kind of had a 
waiting for the other shoe to drop kind of feeling again, which was totally not God. It's the seasons of my life that I went through the hardest things that I felt the closest to God. And I think that we're all guilty of kind of getting in a coasting mode when everything's kind of going well. Not that you're not aware of his presence, not that you're not striving to grow, but you just get complacent. So I've struggled with that anxiety and fear a little bit about my health for years. And, you know, Gil would tell you now that I really had just kind of gotten over that when 2019 hit. So I had my just regular 40-year mammogram last March, and I wasn't diagnosed until May 7th. In 2019. You know, that six weeks, you know, I always say that I think the worst four-letter word in the human language is wait. I was like, careful. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. We hate waiting, and we're terrible at it. The enemy uses that as the devil's playground. Fill in the blank, regardless of what you're going through. If you're having to wait on anything, like we are such an impatient culture now anyway. I remember having to go get my ultrasound after this was before I was diagnosed. I had to go have the second mammogram because they saw something suspicious. And I remember laying on that table and this, you know, kind of a young guy. He was trying to let me know that whatever he saw was serious. And I was very, I mean, total God moment, eerily calm. Prior to walking in that room, I was a basket case. I was texting with some friends and I had just, you know, an army of prayer warriors praying for me. But I remember when he was trying to really express to me, look, I'm, I'm concerned about the way that this looks. He never said breast cancer, but he was alluding to what I might potentially hear. And I was just so calm to the point that he finally said, you're kind of worrying me a little bit. No. <laughs> he said, because most women, when I, and he didn't come out and say it, but you know, that there's a tumor there and I'm concerned about it are usually like falling apart. he's like, and you're not, that concerns me a little bit. And the only thing I could say was because I've been here before, but I still remember that sweet young doctor's face. Just, I mean, I guess he wanted me to have some crazy reaction. Maybe I didn't say it correctly and she didn't hear me, (laughs) but I mean, very just God in the moment of, You know, I think protecting my heart and just helping me to stay grounded and focus long enough to have that conversation before I went on to the next step. And showing your spirit and your strength to that doctor. Yeah. Because when they, as anyone would, usually cry and freak out a little bit. Right. It is really good for doctors to see God. Yeah, very much so. To see his presence. Right. And I just had a deep down gut feeling something was wrong, you know, and I had an amazing, still do, amazing, amazing village, an amazing church family. And, you know, everybody wants to say, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I just had a gut feeling it wasn't. So when we went into that appointment on May 7th, you know, and the doctor told us that it was at that point in time, she believed a stage one breast cancer. It was called early. (laughs) Ah, the wind. (laughs) A little chilly today. (laughs) We might get blown away here in a minute. (laughs) If you hear the microphone, just... (laughs) There it goes. (laughs) But, um, so I had two small tumors right beside each other that were right in the middle of my radiation field. Which, you know, 
we wouldn't have done anything different to get rid of the cancer the first time. But that was a really, really hard day. And I, as strong of a and grounded as Gil and I both were in our faith, but I was very angry. And I had God and I, not God, he just listened. <laughs> I had I had some choice words that I probably never would have thought would have come out of my mouth. You know, it's just being fueled by the enemy, obviously. But, you know, just a lot of like, God, did we not love you enough? Have we not served you enough? Have we not done this enough? Have we not fill in the blank? Um, which... It's crazy in hindsight to even hear myself say that because we all know that as Christians, we're not promised these pain-free, trial-free stories. But you still want to somehow justify that you've been doing life well enough that this shouldn't happen to me. And I think we feel that about a lot of things. But I did. I, I struggled for that first week or two just being mad. We've already done this. I've already done this. I don't want to do this again. And breast cancer was just a whole different ball game. It's treated very differently. There are some personal decisions to some degree that you can make along the way. So I think having like a surgical component this time was very different too. And you were talking about the girls earlier. After we came home that day, we cried about it. We prayed about it. Cried about it some more. The kids were at school. So we decided there was no point in trying not to tell them that day because we were going to be a mess anyway. And, you know, the girls at the time were 12 and 9, so old enough to get it. I think that was what made this diagnosis different. You know, last time it was just Gil and I. Yes, our parents were involved, and we have kids. We have these babies now. Right. My fear was worse this time. Kids are resilient just through the whole process last year. They were amazing. They were amazing. They prayed all the time, and... Gil and I had plenty of opportunities to be real and raw and God's got us and but this is hard you know we never downplayed to them that this is going to be a walk in the park but it was a constant reassurance of mommy's going to be okay maybe it's okay that we're not okay maybe it's okay that we're not okay and you know I felt so burdened by the Holy Spirit early 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 in my diagnosis just to be raw and to be real about it. I think there's a place when we're going through things to be sunshine and rainbows, but I also think that there's a place for other people to see that it doesn't matter how grounded you are in your faith. This is hard with whatever, whether it's infertility or divorce or death and the, you know, whatever it is, it's okay to not be okay. I never doubted God's goodness. I had to get down to a very raw conversation with him in my prayer time of, all right, I'm scared, but that's okay. And I love praise music. I love it. I, I could not turn the radio on that first week or two because I was angry. I remember getting to a point where, okay, Lord, I'm going to turn this back on. First song that came on was good, good father. Mm. But what came out of my mouth was, are you really? And I turned the radio back off. After I did that, I felt just God going, girl, (laughs) I've got you. I have got you. Please have faith in that. You don't know why you go through things. And I remember back with Hodgkins having a particularly hard day after chemo. I remember Gil just grabbing my face and going, you could be going through this for anybody but you. This may not have anything to do with you. Now, I do think in hindsight that it did. It, you know, definitely grew my faith back then. 
But, you know, Gil was real good back then to make the point of you don't know who's watching. You live this out that will create a stronger faith in somebody else. But, like, we're human. That doesn't surprise God that we have human emotions. But to use those things to grow closer to him, to use those things to strengthen our relationship with him. And, you know, after felt like forever to get kind of a game plan for last year, and I think that's what was so exhausting for us was we never could get to a, okay, what are we doing? (laughs) And I love how we try to plan. What is our game plan? Oh, my word. (laughs) Well, you know, I already had it all in my head. Okay, I want surgery in the summer because then I don't have to worry about the girls with school and none of that happened. And God was so gracious that especially early on, it just felt like he said yes to everything that we prayed for. And it got to the point of, okay, what kind of surgery do we do? And I asked my my group of prayer warrior friends, okay, I need y'all to pray for writing in the sky kind of clarity. Surgery and recovery for a lumpectomy to a double mastectomy is night and day. That particular week, I had three different appointments with three different doctors back to back to back. And all three suggested a double mastectomy. So then I remember going back to God going, okay, I know I prayed for clarity. (laughs) Maybe I should have been more specific. (laughs) Because that was the worst surgery, the hardest recovery, not what I would have chosen by any means. But now looking back, I think I got a little too comfortable with maybe feeling like I was a little in control there early on when we prayed. God said, yes, we prayed. God said, yes. And I think that it was like God going, okay, I've got this, not you. I've got my game plan. I know. So quit with your game plan. (laughs) But when I had my surgery, I had it August 2nd, had double mastectomy with tissue reconstruction. The most painful thing I've ever gone through. But in addition to the physical surgery, just the emotional side that came with that, like that was a hard surgery because it drastically altered my body. We very much kind of went from husband and wife to caretaker patient for a little bit. We had to. Um, That was just what was required of both of us during that time through sickness and in health sickness and in health Mm -hmm. you know and I remember our anniversary coming up at that point in time it was about six weeks after I had had surgery this whole long like ode to Gil (laughs) on my Facebook post but just about how much he demonstrated that sacrificial love that you know our husbands are called to love like Christ loved the church my surgery got everything. Praise God. Praise God. Huge praise God. And um, that was a big answered prayer was it hadn't gone anywhere else. But my doctor wanted me to do just four rounds of chemo, which I pushed back pretty hard on that and kind of circled back to that. God, I've done this before. I don't want to do this again. But he gives us the grace to get through it again. My oldest at the time, I think she felt like she needed to be strong for us probably a solid month after my surgery, I couldn't hug them and I couldn't do stairs and their bedrooms were upstairs. And I remember her having this meltdown. I could hear part of it Mm. with her daddy upstairs. And I remember her saying, I just want to give mama a hug. I want you to know by God's grace, I found a way to get up that set of steps (laughs) and to walk into that baby's room and hug her to at least the best degree that I could. That's all she wanted. And with Lexi, Lexi's more my personality type wears her heart on her sleeve and she was younger so she understood well but one of the hardest faith conversations that we had to have with Lexi she said but what about when God doesn't hear you he still hears us and just because this is what he's planned doesn't mean that it's bad thinking of 
you know, God's going to use this for good. We don't see it right now because right now it stinks. I struggled a lot during the year with feeling like I wasn't suffering well. You know, we read in the Bible about these people suffering well. You hear other people's stories about them suffering well. And I just thought I was doing a really bad job at suffering. And I remember sitting on the front porch with him. I was hurting. I was tired. We were several weeks into this. And I said, I just do not find joy in this. We're told so often in the Bible, find joy in your suffering, find joy in your trials. And and I think in my head, I had just this unrealistic idea of what that should look like. Like, where is the joy? He said, Christy, do you think that Jesus enjoyed the cross? Like physically, do you think he physically in that moment, in the physical pain and suffering, I'm sure he did not find joy in that. The joy came in what the purpose of it was for and how it was going to be used in the future. Preach, Gil. (laughs) It changed my perspective on the joy and suffering. It's okay to not be okay, but how are you going to use it? The kids got to see a side of our faith that wouldn't have probably been shown to them under different circumstances. And the whole family grew as a unit. Oh, yeah. And so you went through chemo. This is 2019. So, yes, I finished chemotherapy December of 2019. I was so focused on physically getting through everything. It's like January rolled around and the emotional weight of the whole year prior kind of hit us. Wow, God, that was a lot. I mean, like, I felt like last year was like a clinging to his feet kind of year, you know, and still have felt that way. Cause like this whole year, I mean, well, 2020, first of all, <laughs> can we talk about that? Oh, let's all talk about that. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I shared with you earlier, I was very isolated last year, which was hard because I am a people person and I like my people, but after surgery and during chemo, like I really just couldn't be around a lot of people. So from pretty much August 2nd was my surgery date till early January. I very rarely left the house. And so you're like coming up in 2020. I'm getting all the people. You know, I was, I have never been so excited for the year to change in my whole life. I had like a 2020 shirt I wore January 1st. I had really high hopes for this year. Oh, then 2020. Um, Then COVID. So that was tough mentally. (laughs) I know it was tough for everybody, but I kept thinking, oh, but that was my whole last year was being at home. Like, I'm so tired of these four walls. Well, like you said earlier, you're emotionally just now processing what happened in 2019. Right. You know, but praise God that I went through all of that in 2019. So much has changed, as we all know. Gil and family and friends wouldn't have been able to be there the way that they were last year. You know, so I do praise God for his perfect timing. I said this after my Hodgkin's fight is God opened up a lot of doors back then for me to be able to minister to other people. And, you know, there were women that I've met that God's just been able to allow me to pour into them in a way that probably nobody else in their families can if they haven't been there. Um, So it's really neat to see the way that God has used my story. You know, there have been some of those conversations that have been able to be gospel conversations where wasn't sure what their faith was and been able to share his goodness and his mercy and his faith. And, you know, just like what Gil said, yes, yes, it's your story, but all these other people are being impacted 
by it. They're seeing it. I think it was one of those like two o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep on Instagram. And um, one of those t-shirt ads came up and that's what the t-shirt said was my story, his glory. And I remember reading something last week that said, God didn't bring you this far to only bring you this far. Yes. It's been neat to see how he's used my story, our story, you know, for our marriage, our family over the last 15 years of, okay, well, God, you did some really cool things. I would like to think that we don't always need really hard, tough things for us to be reminded of his goodness, but I think sometimes we do. I'm hoping I've learned my lesson. (laughs) God, I'm good for a little while. Thank you. Thank you. It's okay to not be okay, but don't live there. You can sit there for a minute. I think it's okay to sit there for a minute with whatever hard or hurts, but don't live there. Don't let the enemy keep you there of some days. It's just, okay, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to turn the radio on anyway. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to pray anyway. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to open up my Bible and read anyway. And so many times I feel like the second we do that, God's like, all right, Satan. Yes. She's fine mm-hmm. of, you know, being able to push, push away. Well, cause um, you're in a battle. Very I mean, much. Every day. Every day. And when you every put day. on that armor, as it says mm-hmm. in Ephesians, and you confront right. the enemy and you say, you know what? I am going to sing louder for this little worship song because uh-huh. it's not little. It's going to be big. Right. But it's <laughs> so true. It's so true. You know, and I found so much, so many times in my life that it's that step of faith that silences him. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> or, you know, I, I think there's times where we let the enemy's voice be so much louder than the Holy Spirit's you know, still quiet voice. Our feelings come when we're obedient. And I know with all of the feelings and with your huge journey that thankfully you have battled and come through, um, we always like to end trails and testimonies on an encouraging quote. It's happy trails to you. So I know through all of that, that you had a quote or quotes <laughs> to get you through <laughs> quotes. quotes, many quotes, many quotes to get you through that. Well, but. so, you know, I think some of it I've already mentioned, you know, I focused on that my story is so much bigger than me. And I think that for everybody, like our stories are about so much more than you. I had on my bathroom mirror, first Peter five ten taped on it. And just, it was like something I had to read multiple times a day after you have suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you I know that some of the things that we go through some seasons are longer than others some seasons may very well last till you meet Christ face to face but just that promise that after we've suffered a little while that Christ promises to strengthen and reestablish us. That was just a verse that he laid on my heart early on last year, that we can know that the suffering's not forever, whether it's resolved here or it's resolved in the presence of Christ, that our suffering's so limited here on earth, but that I just think that we can all be encouraged to use whatever story God's given you for his glory. And um, we can always keep pointing others to Christ, even in the trials. I love that. Christy, thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. This is fun. This is fun. You want to go for a little hike? Sure. Okay. Remember to subscribe. Right. I guess that's it, guys.